Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. How do we reopen this economy? The latest on how this pandemic is impacting farmers. What does this do for the United States' relationship with China? Bloomberg Sound Off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. We're responding to this crisis and manufacturers are stepping up like never before. We're looking at 70 candidates for different vaccines. How do we make sure a pandemic of this scale never happens again? This is Bloomberg Sound Off with Kevin. Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. U.S. stocks grind higher with focus on stimulus. That's right. The White House is offering new proposals to jolt virus relief talks. I've got the latest coming from the White House. This says uh, we also have new developments on the 2020 race. All of that plus plus TikTok giving Microsoft a shot at $140 billion dollars. In ads, the latest for U.S. and China as well. We have a lot to get through. Uh, we've got a team of all-stars with us for the hour. President Trump is set to deliver a press conference coming up in about an hour. You can catch it right here. I'll bring that for you. We're going to cover uh, foreign policy, uh, what happened in Beirut, uh, as well as U.S.-China relations. But we begin domestically because U.S. equities eked out again as investors tried to gauge the outlook for a stimulus bill to blunt the economic impact of the coronavirus pandemic. The S&P 500 index ended 0.4% higher after wavering between small losses and gains throughout the day. Joining us now, Bloomberg's White House reporter, Josh Wingrove. Josh, Wall Street really had its eye on what's coming out of Washington today because the White House is now saying that they're going to deliver fresh offers on a virus relief package in today's talks with top Democrats. This according to Mark Meadows, the the chief of staff and uh, Secretary Mnuchin. What are they going to do, Josh? What can they do? Well, it kind of depends on who you ask, and it's not, you know, it gets in, in one view, it's an offer, and another one, it's a threat to go unilaterally. Political reporting, of course, three executive orders are on the books. One would sort of suspend unilaterally, uh, at least, I guess, enforcement of the payroll tax. Another would deal with evictions, blocking evictions, and the third would uh, redirect existing congressional money to uh, UI top of all of these are sort of you know, seem to be at least on the outer edge or beyond the outer edge of presidential authorities, kind of pushing the limits of what at least has been traditionally understood to be a president's power to go unilaterally. So the big question is, is it a bluff? Now, Trump has sort of been moving in this direction. Uh, There's a report a couple weeks ago that that DACA ruling by the Supreme Court in the eyes of some in the administration gave them a roadmap to sort of act unilaterally, in particular, withdraw enforcement of certain laws. And so I think that might be maybe, you know, a sign that they're willing to consider testing those waters as it sort of 
you know, looks increasingly like Congress is going to be at odds for quite some time on figuring out what next, uh, what to do next. Josh, let me rip up the script and cut to the chase here because, you know, you, you do such a good job of this in terms of just translating. So what does it mean? Forget about the Beltway for a second. Forget about Wall Street for a second. What does it mean for folks who need unemployment? What does it mean for folks who are facing evictions? What would these executive orders do for them? Well, it means that Trump might try to do something and it wouldn't be clear, really. You know, for instance, he might say, look, if you have a job, you might still be in trouble. You might still have a job. And if you do, I'm not going to enforce collection of the payroll taxes that you pay. Well, your employer might still collect it. So that doesn't necessarily leave you anywhere. And he might say that we're not going to enforce uh, eviction laws. Well, you know, cities do the same. I don't know. You know, it, it gets into a sort of untested waters of presidential authority. The big one, the really risky one, seems to be that UI one. That one seems to be the furthest sort of out of what everyone agrees the presidential powers are, sort of redirecting existing money on his own without Congress. Congress tends to hold those purse strings. So right now, I think if you if you are if you if your EI top up has expired, if your landlord is banging on your door for rent. Uh, right now, you are no doubt frustrated and looking for answers. I think I think that these this this sort of announcement and signaling from the White House is probably a bad sign because so, it indicates the White House doesn't think anything's going to happen. In so it could, but to, but to keep with the people who need answers right now in terms of eviction notices and also in terms of unemployment benefits, it could mean that you got to pay attention to the news for the next couple of days because if if something comes from the White House, it could directly impact you and what is going on uh, and. And we just don't know. But the president is saying, essentially, that he could bypass Congress to allow for negotiations on the broader deal to continue and essentially provide just some, really, the kicking of the can down the road, for lack of a better words, that Republicans initially wanted to do. He can just kind of bypass that. Okay, so that's, on the one hand, how it directly impacts well, he people. he thinks he can bypass He thinks it. he can, but if, but if he were, wait. He thinks he can bypass but, but no, no, he can't bypass. This is very important because if you're listening and you want to know about the unemployment benefits and you want to know about eviction notices, if he were to pass something through executive order, it is not the major bill. It could directly impact you in terms of whether or not when you make payments. So we don't know the specifics, as Josh is reporting, and we don't know the details, but pay attention because it could impact you over the next 24 to 48 hours. Now, from a political let's get back into it in the swamp from a political matter should the president do that does it not allow for leadership on capitol hill josh and both parties to have a prolonged battle if he takes away some of the stickier issues and kicks it down the car kicks the can down the road uh with executive orders yeah and it, it you know i think that there's at least a view that it would trap joe biden it would trap Nancy Pelosi, I was speaking with a source who's been advising the administration on this, and they said, look, let's say that he pulls out the rug and tries to suspend uh, the, those uh, payroll taxes. Well, what do you do if you're Pelosi? You know, he, he's already sort of can claim that he's at least tried a stimulus. It may or may not work, depending on what employers do. Biden would be forced to say, would you make that collectible if you're elected or not? It would essentially mean that people would be running up a debt on payroll taxes that may or may not come due down the road. So there's a, there's a view here that he needs to sort of retake control uh, as things sort of grind down into the mud in Congress. But again, really untested territory. I think it just it speaks to that 
frustration. Another thing that's been really interesting is this flip on UI. Uh, the, you know, the White House for weeks was saying, listen, these UI plus ups, this extra 600 bucks, all it's doing is paying people to stay home. It's hurting the recovery. We got to get rid of it. We'll do something different, maybe 70% of your wages, 100% of your wages, that kind of thing. The problem is that's a heck of a lot more complicated for states to implement. And now the White House is talking about not doing that, and even Trump today even signaled that he might want the more of the $600. So, you know, even nailing down the White House's position on do they want more unemployment or not, and if so, what should it look like, that's an evolving target. I mean, and all you got to do is log on to your Bloomberg terminal and, and see and track where some of the small business funds are going uh, and the allocations, and maybe maybe they're looking at the data, because we've talked about this, Josh, before you and me, Bloomberg's Josh Wingrove, White House reporter. I mean, a lot of these cons- traditionally conservative states are actually benefiting from, uh, I don't want to say benefiting, but they're, they're, they're using the unemployment benefits. I mean, everyone would prefer not to have this pandemic. That's why I don't want to say benefiting. And so maybe they're looking at that data that shows that, uh, that, that Republican states, traditionally conservative states, are, are directly impacted by a lot. It's not just the cities. Am I right? Yeah, yeah I mean... I- I, this has been one of those stories with reporters. Let me answer it this way: where you get, we're getting more emails from like real folks than we normally do, right? A lot of the stuff that goes down in D.C. is not really of interest to the average reader. But people, you know, if you signed a lease in an apartment, you, your restaurant job or whatever hasn't been open for four months, you're hurting. What do you do? You don't have money to pay to break the lease. You don't have money to pay to pay, make your payments. Uh, your unemployment may or may not have run out, depending on your, what state you're in. The, the, the levels range from really grim to still pretty grim. Uh, and so, you know, this, people are in a bind right now. And, you know, the Democrats have uh, their sort of three, 3.4, whatever it is, trillion dollar plan right now. Republicans really seem to not know which way they want to go forward, other than that they think that the Democrats are wanting to pour money out of the airplanes, uh, you know, willy nilly. Yeah. So uh, it's frustrating. It's frustrating. Yeah. And in the meantime, you know, this virus continues to go. The, the cases are thankfully looking like they're plateauing and even coming down a bit, but they certainly aren't down at levels that you'd like to see them for a reopening of the economy. And people are hurting. You know, rents do. Bills are piling up. And uh, there's uh, right now no end in sight. Uh, it's not even the great breakdown, Josh. I mean, I wish I could talk to you for, for forever. Great, great reporting. And it's not even that folks are hurting. People are really feeling this, the effects of this on it's it's unfathomable and i think the beltway people i don't think they can relate i'm kevin cerilli chief washington correspondent for bloomberg tv and radio you're listening to bloomberg 99.1 you're listening to bloomberg sound on with kevin cerilli on bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 fm hd2 my name is kevin cerilli I am the chief Washington chorus. Uh, I am the chief Washington correspondent of Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. And uh, I've been on a Billy Joel kick. You know, I was listening to the ballad of Billy the Kid earlier today. I love that song. I haven't. I haven't been, been on a Billy Joel kick in years. What's your favorite Billy Joel song? Wendy Benjaminson's on the line. She's the Bloomberg politics editor. Wendy, do you like Billy Joel? Can you sing us a song? I would not sing you a song, but I do like New York State of Mind. That's one oh, of my faves. All right, that's a good one. I also like uh, Summer Highland Falls. It's very, it's very as 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 the uh, as the cool kids say. It's very appropriate for the times that we live in. Some uh, Summer Highland Falls. Anyway, uh, Wendy, I don't know how to say icy icy the tropical storm. Yes. 
I don't know how to say it, but did you survive it? I mean, Isaias. I practiced it in the break, but between that and hydroxychloroquine, I can only focus on the political terms for what I know how to say. say, I'm not a weatherman, Bloomberg. I'm not a meteorologist. Um, But you can say meteorologist. But I can say meteorologist. All right. I I hear that you're really uh, big on a story that I'm really excited, not excited, but uh, also very much following, and that's on mail-in voting. What did the president say today about mail-in voting? What did he say today? Today, he said that uh, Florida's mail-in balloting system is safe and secure and that all Floridians should vote mail-in ballot. That comes on the heels of the real clear politics average of polls showing that Biden is up 6.2 percentage points in Florida and the fact that 300,000 more Democrats than Republicans have applied for mail-in ballots. Um, in a state that is suffering terribly from the coronavirus. So I think Donald Trump is worried that Republicans are listening to him and not enthused about mail-in voting, and then will stay home, which would be bad for him. So, but what I find fascinating is uh, uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell was asked about this in an interview with my friend Greta Van Susteren on Great TV over the weekend, and and he actually is a bit more receptive of mail-in voting than President Trump is, and I I, I think that some Republicans, whether it's Governor Larry Hogan, whether it's Leader McConnell, this is not uh a, a simple republicans are for this and democrats are for that republicans are really divided in terms of how people should be voting on this honestly i'm not sure how divided they are i think it might be trump versus everyone else i might be him versus everyone else i i mean most republicans this year are fine with absenting and mail-in voting because people, especially older people who tend to be more conservative, are nervous about standing in line in a polling place. Um, you know, and so they are, they are, people want to do mail-in voting. And if you want to encourage people to turn out uh, for you as, as the president and whoever else, then mail-in and absentee voting, which is the same thing, by the way, is the way to go. So, all right, switching gears now, it, it you know, and and mail-in voting, by the way, is really going to impact the way that Americans receive their election night news. Every expert, and I've been interviewing several ex- experts for a project that I'll tell you about in the next couple of days, but every expert that I've been interviewing has said that we might not have the election night result for the presidential election until a couple of days after, simply because if the race is close uh, and the ele- or the electoral college race is close, if you're allowed to postmark your ballot on election day, even if it's like 10% of the votes. In a battleground state, 10% of the votes is is incredibly, incredibly important. So it's going to be very different in terms of how we uh, we we receive some of the election news. And, and I think that's why you're hearing the president talk about it as well. But definitely something we should all be preparing for. And, and it could end up in the courts as well. And there's been a host of different Democratic and Republican examples of that. All right, Wendy Benjaminson, when am I going to find out who Joe Biden picks for his VP? You will probably find out along with the rest of us next week. Um, he, was supposed, he told everyone last week it was going to be this week, and then his staff pointed out that he hasn't interviewed anyone yet. So supposedly this week he is, we believe he is starting to interview the top six, then he will do another round of the top three, and then next week at some point we will 
running mate of Joe Biden. Randy Benjaminson, Randy Benjaminson is on the line. She is a good friend of mine, and I am always, always sad when her service is in and out. So, Wendy, if there's any way you could step to, I feel bad because I know I've asked you to do this before, but if there's any way you could move to some place where you might get a little bit better of reception, that would be awesome. But otherwise, we will um, make Can do. you hear me now? That is so much better. Wherever you are, freeze oh, in place. I'm so sorry. Freeze in place. Freeze in place. Wendy Benjamin's in Bloomberg Politics Editor. On I that issue... Him. Don't worry about it. You know, I, I could talk to you, Wendy, forever. You know that. Uh, when for for on the issue of, of who I mean, who's on the short list? I mean, where's Susan Rice? I thought that she's kind of had a, a resurgence of sorts, you know, in terms of the media attention and what people are saying. Susan Rice, Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris, by the way, just went out uh, and, and was speaking at. Uh, in an interview and really attacked President Trump as she has been for quite some time, calling him petty, self-involved, and weak. So clearly she's saying that she wants to go on the political attack if she's on the, the other half of the ticket. Yeah, so it looks to us like it could be Kamala Harris, the California senator you were just talking about. It could be Susan Rice, who was Obama's national security advisor, and the one top candidate that Joe Biden actually personally knows very well. Um, Karen Bass, head of the Congressional Black Caucus, is another top contender. Tammy Duckworth, decorated combat vet, another top contender. Um, you know, those are among the – and Elizabeth Warren is still out there as a possible choice, but we're not really – we're not really bullish on Elizabeth Warren. I mean, on her chances of becoming it. I know. Now that we said that, it'll be like, you know, Biden Warren, and, and and we'll all be like scratching our heads and replaying the tape. Wendy, what oh, else? It'll is- be the one person I don't have a story prepared for. I'm sure. <laughs> but hey, remember back all those years ago when it was Sarah Palin. You know, the freshman governor from Alaska <laughs> caught everybody right. off guard. I was skipping <laughs> class back in Delco. And trying to go see, I, I, you know, and I, it was Lieberman. Remember Lieberman? Everyone thought McCain was going to pick Lieberman and whatnot. And I was, yeah. you know, and, and then it was, uh, what'd she say? What was that line? Uh, lipstick on a pig. Remember that line? Or whatever, the hockey moms and everything. It was fascinating. Oh, right, right. Yeah, the hockey moms. See, I'm really exactly. going to just admit how much of a life I do not have that I go back <laughs> and I watch all of these old interviews. This is what I did on Sunday, which is sad. But I watched like the Obama-Biden <laughs> rollout interview and then the, the Clinton-Palin, or the Clinton-Palin, the uh the McCain Palin rollout. Of course, you got to watch the Katie Couric right. one. You know, you go down that Who YouTube wormhole. Who could? Well, <laughs> most people, I think. I <laughs> We're both going to get in trouble for that. Uh, okay, what else is on your radar in terms of the political front? Your team is just killing it. Jen Epstein and of course Tyler Pager and the whole, the whole, the whole host of, of of your team is just killing it. What's on your radar? Oh, probably this notion of the secret Trump voter, the person who will not tell pollsters that they really are going to vote for Trump. That's very real. Somehow it could be. It very well could be. And that could mean that, you know, we're surprised again, even though we keep looking at the polls. I was citing them earlier just now. Um, so that's that's definitely on my radar, that it's not over till it's over. You know, and I'm not going to tell you who, but I might be related <laughs> to a couple of those. Uh, to a couple, And you might be too, Wendy. I think we've talked about that uh, back in Texas in your in your Texas days. All right, Wendy Benjaminson, Bloomberg's uh, politics editor and a good friend of mine. Do we have any Billy Joel to, to carry us out before we reset? There it is. Wendy, this is for you. <laughs> Thank you. Anytime, Wendy. I hope it gets stuck in your head. Remember, you can download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on 
radio.com, iHeartRadio, or Spotify. Coming up, more policy and politics right here on Bloomberg 99.1. How do we reopen this economy? The latest on how this pandemic is impacting farmers. What does this do for the United States relationship with China? Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. We're responding to this crisis and manufacturers are stepping up like never before. We're looking at 70 candidates for different vaccines. How do we make sure a pandemic of this scale never happens again? This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. The latest coming from the White House with regards to economic stimulus. Plus, I'll give you the latest on the U.S. and China talks. This as both sides say they're going to talk trade. Both sides say they are going to talk trade. Uh, And uh, we're going to dive into it. We've got an all-star panel as we await for President Trump to speak to the nation at his press conference in the 5.30 half hour. And we're following what everyone is talking about uh, this evening, which is the White House is now offering some new proposals to jolt the virus relief talks. And stocks closed higher in part due to that uh, development, that news, plus some positive rhetoric coming from Speaker Pelosi and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer. I'm going to read now from the Bloomberg Terminal, Eric Wasson, Laura Liffin, and Stephen T. Dennis reporting tonight, quote, the White House is delivering fresh offers on a virus relief package in talks with top Democrats. This according to Mark Meadows, the president's chief of staff and secretary Mnuchin. But both sides are still remaining far apart. Neither Mnuchin nor Meadows gave specifics in terms of what the offer would include. But Mnuchin is saying that if Democrats are serious on negotiating, we can do a deal quickly. It comes, folks, as the president is saying that he's ready to utilize some executive orders. He's ready to to bust out the presidential pen and try to make some headway on the issue pertaining to unemployment benefits, and potentially even evictions. And if you're trying, if that directly impacts you, we don't have the details of what specifically that's going to mean. But once we get them, I, I promise we'll, we'll dive into the specifics. Because I think, unfortunately, so much of the conversation uh, in the media right now is on the process of whether or not they can get to a deal. And we forget that there are millions of Americans who are directly, directly impacted by the decisions that are happening virtually in real time. But if it does affect you, pay attention because at 5 30 Eastern this half hour, President Trump is going to give a press conference. And you can listen to it actually right here on Bloomberg 99.1 FM. And he's likely going to get questions specifically on what executive orders he would utilize and how that would happen. And uh, we're going to have our Eric Wasson also on standby for us to help translate some of that jargon. Here to translate some of this jargon right now. Jennifer Nassour, she is a Republican strategist, former chairwoman of the Massachusetts Republican Party and founder for Conservative Women for a Better Future. And Kristen Hahn, Democratic strategist, senior advisor at Rock Solutions and the former Blue Dog Coalition communications director. Kristen, Jennifer, thrilled to have you both with me for the hour. I do want to talk to the individual who's listening right now who was directly impacted, Kristen, by the impasse 
on both sides, and they're all blaming each other. But the impasse from Washington D.C. on unemployment benefits and uh, on uh, evictions, in particular. So, what, from a strategic standpoint, should the president decide to use the pen? Should he decide to to do? Uh, executive orders that could provide some relief so that the uh, so that McConnell and Pelosi can, and, and Mnuchin can continue to have this back and forth same old fiscal cliff debate uh, that I guess they think is equivalent to, to what happened several years ago with the shutdown even though we all know it's worse right yeah I mean I think at the end of the day at the end of the day you really need members of Congress to come together on both sides yeah I think it's become pretty clear that nothing's going to get done in the short term or even more importantly in the long term um, as we deal with COVID-19 and the repercussions on the economy and the health of the country if Republicans and Democrats in the House and the Senate don't come together and and try to work together to find a solution because at the end of the day um, people are hurting. They need relief, particularly with regard to unemployment benefits and evictions. Um, you know, the Democrats put out and passed their proposal uh, months ago in the House. Um, the problem, you know, has been over the past several weeks, uh, Senate Republicans not being able to come to agreement within their own conference. Um, so, you know, that's posed some just just some problems across the board. Um, if you can't come together as a party and come to the table with the Democrats, and have some serious negotiations, it's difficult to even have a starting point. But at the end of the day, people are hurting. People have to do stuff. Um, you know, I work with a lot of these uh, Democrats in the House that are, are more business-minded in the center, and um, a lot of them are, have, you know, they don't want to go home. The House is uh, on a 24-hour, or sorry, 24, um, yeah, 24-hour uh, callback right now um, if there is an agreement on these things. Uh, but many of them have, have said, I'm staying here until we get something done. So clearly there's a political, uh, yeah. you know, uh, calculation here. But but what really matters and what they care about is, you know, their constituents and the people that really need this. Jennifer, I want to go to you in a second, but I want to follow up right there with Kristen because I'll rip the script up for, for right there. I mean, yeah, they don't want to go home no matter what party they're in, these no. rank and file members, because they don't have anything to sell. Speaker Pelosi and Leader McConnell have backed them into such a corner that they can't go home because their constituents, millions of Americans, and again, I mean, I'm not on the Cerilli soapbox, but I am going to say millions of Americans who are not inside of the Beltway, who are not lapped in, tapped into uh, the Washington, D.C. Beltway economy, they are hurting is an understatement. And so mm-hmm. for these rank and file members, they're going back and they're even if they're in safe seats, they can't sell anything right now because Mnuchin, yeah. Pelosi, Meadows, McConnell, and who am I forgetting? They're all up there uh, and, and they've yet to get to a serious compromise. I mean, I would say at least Pelosi's, um, she is she passed something, the caucus, not that everybody... And Kristen, I got to interrupt you because if you were a Republican, you would tell me McConnell passed something. But I want to focus on the point. But I want to focus on the point, Kristen, of of the notion of these rank-and-file members that you deal with who don't have a seat at the negotiating table or have their backs against a wall because they don't have anything to sell to their constituents. And and they don't have anything to to talk about. You're no, you're exactly right. And I was I was definitely getting to that point. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you pass something out of one chamber or the other chamber, and it doesn't get signed into law, and people don't see the benefits. So you know, this is a time when you know these these 
I know I always say this because I kind of sit in the center of things, but you know these these leaders need to come together uh, because this is not going to get done on a partisan basis. You can you can put up your flags and you can you can talk about where you want to start, but you really got to start negotiations in a serious way. I don't necessarily think it would be the worst thing for the president to to try to do something in the interim. But you're right, the members, uh, particularly these members, I mean, members across the board, like you said, yeah. it's not. Just the moderates, it's all over the caucus, and they're like, I, and I think Republicans probably too. I don't want to speak for my Republican colleagues, <laughs> but nobody wants to go home. And no one wants like, to go oh, home. We're, we're going on recess for three weeks, peace out, and you know. Meanwhile, it's you're struggling crazy. to eat. It's crazy. It's, yeah. it's literally crazy. Yeah. Jennifer, we, we're, we're going to come back and talk much more about this coming up. But I in and, and the minute that we have left for this block, let me ask you this. Uh, on the issue of unemployment benefits, we were speaking about this a little bit earlier. There, President Trump is signaling that he's willing to take executive orders to extend unemployment benefits. And Republicans are a little bit divided on that. But I mean, it's, it's quite popular for some Republican uh, lawmakers who are representing constituents who are really impacted by this. And we've got to keep it quick but we'll talk about it more coming up, Jennifer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, they're kind of between a rock and a hard place on this one because you do have some members who have been in office for a while who are really, you know, representing more blue-collar areas where people have been out of work and can don't have the luxury to work from home. Yeah. Um, and so they Hold that. Really yeah, care. and let's pick that up right when we come back with Jennifer and Chris. And Jennifer, I'm sorry to cut you off. You'll get the first... First word when we come back. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I need a new show to watch. I, I, I'm, I've watched so much trashy shows on all the streaming platforms. I guess I'm not allowed to say which streaming platforms I use because then it's like an endorsement. I don't know. I'm Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Kristen Hahn, Democratic strategist, is with us. Got a little heated there in the A block, Kristen. I'm fired up today, as Matt Shirley in the break told me. <laughs> Jennifer Nassour, Republican strategist, former chairwoman of the Massachusetts Republican Party and founder for Conservative Women for a Better Future. Jennifer, what should I be streaming? Ooh, so I love mm, I love Billions and Ozark. Yeah, I, <laughs> too smart for me. I have, I, 
I was I was at Wawa the other day after I got off air for the morning, and I was I was FaceTiming with my cousin Andy. She's a nurse uh, back in uh, in Philly at, at at Children's Hospital, and she was on her way up to the Poconos, and uh, she was telling me that she just got into Lost, and I thought Lost. I grew up and I wa- I watched Lost every Wednesday night with the kids on my street, and we had to wait when they found the hatch. Spoiler spoiler alert! When they found the hatch at the end of the first season. I had to wait mm-hmm. a whole summer before the new episode. All right, Jennifer, let's talk policy now. Enough about <laughs> streaming. And well, I guess I guess it's kind of a segue with billions uh, as we talk about these economic sti- uh, stimulus talks. Uh, but for real, I mean, Republicans are 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 divided in terms of the impact that the unemployment benefits are having on their constituents. Why do you think that is, Jennifer? Well, I mean, because you have some, you have. I mean, everyone is from all over the country, right? So if you have you know, someone who is from a more blue collar or more industrial area who is a Republican, their their view is going to be different than a Republican maybe in a in a white collar area, right, where people can work from home and, and it's just different logistics, but they maybe aren't getting laid off at the at the rate of other folks. And so, you know, number I mean, and plus, I think the Republican Party is a mess right now. I think that there's so much friction. There's so much, divis- you know, divisiveness. And and to go back to what Kristen was saying earlier, I mean, this is why we should have term limits, because once you're there and you've become part of the foundation in D.C., it's almost as if you just stick your heels in the ground and you don't want to move and you don't want to do anything. And the only people who get hurt, it's not those in leadership, it's those rank-and-file members that are held accountable when they go home. It's the first term, the second termers that have to go home and bring home the bacon, and they're not bringing anything back. You know, the candidate Trump uh, really embraced the idea of term limits, so— you know, I, I, it always polls significantly popular uh, during the during the elections. That's a really interesting point. I'm surprised, Jennifer, that more uh, that that term limits hasn't become an issue uh, on the down ballot races. Then again, I guess if you're in office, why would you why would you want to limit? They would never vote them. I know. There's, no one's ever going to say, you know what? I only want my job to be six years or eight years. But you hear <laughs> this. <laughs> you hear this with Biden, Kristen Hahn. I mean, rip up the script for a second. You hear that Biden, you know, has kind of played into this whole notion of, of maybe only doing one term. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's a little bit different on the presidential level with the members of Congress who have two year terms and having run races in, in those tough districts for Democrats to win. I've never seen this issue really been something that resonates over the long term. Um, Biden, I think, is a little bit of a different um situation because of his age and it's so important who he picks it's always important who you pick for your vice presidential running mate um but i think it's a little bit of a different situation there all right well sticking with the idea of of these unemployment benefits that the president has suggested he might be uh willing to utilize executive order on and jennifer just outlined for us Kristen, how blue collar workers in in both traditionally Democratic and Republican states, really benefiting from that. I don't want to say the word benefiting, really impacted. Impacted is the more precise word because benefited suggests that people don't want to be at work right now because of the pandemic. And I just don't believe that the majority of Americans have that in their in their DNA. I, you know, I think we're a, a gritty, uh, scrappy society that, that that loves and embraces work but what do i know uh so Kristen, but from that perspective though with through that lens 
you know, I, I'm struck by the University of Chicago study that came out. I think it was 68%. It was. It was 68% of Americans, according to this study, that receive unemployment benefits are earning more on unemployment versus uh, should they not be. And then in contrast, a Yale study came out like in the same week and said that's not the case at all. So there's conflicting data coming from, from, uh, from, from higher education. But from a purely political matter this unemployment benefits it doesn't really it's touching people of all different political stripes am i wrong no i think you're exactly right um and this is becoming it's it's interesting where people are not necessarily falling down um on political lines like they they were um and that extends you know to the individual and also um you know with regard to helping the state with the federal government uh providing funds for the state to help out um you know the people who who need it who need it the most so i think you're exactly right um you know people of all political stripes are are being impacted by this and what we've seen is that you know you do have to consider um you know whether there may be some people out there who see a benefit to just staying home and they're making more money. But by and large, what what members are seeing and their constituents are saying is exactly what you said. They want to get back to work. Um, they want to earn a living. And there are just not jobs out there right now. So no, many people are being scary. impacted by this all the way down the all the way down the chain. Um, you know, we hear a lot about restaurants, but you think about all the farmers that provide the food for those restaurants and, and the supply chain, if you go all the way down, it, it, it's really disheartening. Well, and, and Howard Schultz, he's the uh, the former uh, uh, CEO of Starbucks. He's now the Starbucks CEO Emeritus. Uh, and, of course, he had launched that third-party bid for president. The, it was unsuccessful. But uh, he actually organized a letter. Did you both see this? Jennifer and Kristen, he organized a letter with a 100 of the... CEOs, Walmart, Disney, Merck. Uh, and in this letter, I thought it was interesting because it's not just it's not just, you know, constituents who are putting pressure on on leadership. It's also the business community now. And in this letter, this really stood out to me. It said, quote, he's, he's urging for economic stimulus. He says, quote, this is not a call for bottomless handouts. It is a defining moment to show how capitalism can benefit all Americans, particularly entrepreneurs who have been forced to shutter or reduce the capacity of their businesses through no fault of their own. We cannot stress enough the urgent need to act. Every day that passes without a comprehensive recovery program makes recovery more difficult. By Labor Day, we foresee a wave of permanent closures if the right steps are not taken soon. More next, I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for, Bloom for Bloomberg Radio. In the break, Falco, who's running the boards today along with Charlie Vollmer, the indefatigable Charlie Vollmer, uh, they were telling me I've got to watch Miracle Workers, which I Googled. And it looks really good. And then they were there's this other show that takes place in Canada that I'm not allowed to say on air. Barada said, "Don't say it. Don't get don't 
<laughs> don't get her. Don't get anyone in trouble, Kevin. You've been so good staying out of trouble. Uh, but I, I can't get into that show. You know the one I'm talking about. Don't say it, Kristen. Don't say it, Jennifer. They're still with us. Kristen Hahn, Democratic strategist. Jennifer Nassour, Republican strategist. But I can't get into that show. I try, but every time I see it, I'm like, that's the lady from Home Alone. Kevin! And I just can't. I, I, I can't. I can't do it, Kristen. I just, I'm not there. We're on standby, Kristen and Jen. Are you watching it? I'm not. I'm in the Goliath these days with Billy Bob Thornton. That's my my show right now. (laughs) I've been rewatching The Office. You know, I'm just. Yeah. Because no one works at the Bloomberg Bureau anymore. (laughs) I'm like one of five people here. Everything's (laughs) virtual. So I I live vicariously through Steve Carell. Uh, Jennifer Nassour, Republican strategist, former chairwoman of Massachusetts Republican Party, (laughs) and founder for Conservative Women for a Better Future. Uh, Anyway, uh, some really we're we're on standby for real for for President Trump's uh, daily coronavirus task force briefing. And I'm hoping that we're going to get some details on what executive orders he's pursuing. Uh, Jennifer and Kristen, if I interrupt you, it's because I um, uh, it's because I have to toss to to the president. Um, So please do not be offended. Uh, There were some really, really horrific news today and and in in all seriousness there was a deadly beirut port blast that rocked a nation already in despair and i'm reading from the bloomberg terminal a massive explosion at lebanon's main port rocked beirut overwhelming hospitals dealing with the injured and dying the blast was so large that it blew out windows across the capital and was even heard from cyprus authorities say it was caused by a highly explosive materials at the port but didn't say whether it was an accident or an attack So the details are still coming out about this. The casualty toll continued to climb through the night on Tuesday with the health minister saying around 11 p.m. local that 67 people had lost their lives and some 3,600 people were injured. So the video footage, did you did you see the video footage? It's horrific. The the video. It's it really is. I mean, it was just horrible. Video footage showed what appeared to be a fire followed by crackling lights and then a much larger explosion as an enormous cloud of smoke rapidly engulfed the area around the port of Beirut and buildings in the area and miles away were severely damaged, including the electricity company and other government entities. So we're we're carefully following that story. Uh, So that's what was happening uh, overseas in in Lebanon. But uh, switching gears on another foreign policy dynamic, and I do want to talk about this with Jennifer and Kristen, is on the U.S., and China. There's been a, a, a dizzying amount of, of, of headlines that have come out in the past couple of days about U.S.-China relations. We, of course, are following the TikTok developments with regards to Microsoft. They say that they're going to get to some type of deal, or the administration says they've, that TikTok, ByteDance has got to sell TikTok by September 15th. I've got that bolded and underlined and highlighted in the Cirilli calendar because that is also when I'm hearing Republicans and Democrats on Capitol Hill are going to announce their version of some bipartisan policy initiatives from their working group about what can get addressed uh, in a nonpartisan way on the U.S. and China. So I think from a September standpoint, it could be a really important month for U.S. and China relations. The other thing on my radar for U.S. and China uh, as it relates to that is that in mid-August, I think it was Roy, it was Dow Jones reported this, uh, that 
they are going to have a meeting. They, uh, Vice Premier Laha and Secretary Mnuchin are going to have a meeting for enforcement on U.S.-China trade relations. I think we're going to be talking a lot about China in the next couple of days, uh, especially as we continue to follow TikTok. Uh, and I think we're going to also uh, be hearing a lot more about the trade developments. Jennifer, China is uh, probably one of the most important foreign policy issues in the 2020 race. 100%. And and I think, you know, what we've seen is that Trump, I think, has been, you know, dealing with this head on um, where we had we did not see this in the Biden and Obama administration. And so, you know, I, I give him some credit for taking this on. And, you know, we the stories have come out. And again, it's, you know, it's the old he said, she said kind of thing. But I mean, from being focused on China as an ideological threat, being focused on China for the espionage. Um, and so I, I think that there's a lot going on there. There's a lot of interest there. Um, you know, is it is it more tariffs? Is it no, uh, you know, nothing, no sort of imports, uh, you know, bringing more jobs back here and less jobs there? So it'll be really interesting to see. But this is definitely an important foreign policy area for the election. And, you know, honestly, the Republicans have always done better on foreign policy than the Democrats. And so if this, if, if Trump can play his cards right and the Republicans can figure this out, I think this could be key for him. Uh, I, I take it, Kristen, that you have a different <laughs> interpretation than Jennifer does. <laughs> is that, that's a I, nice I way of saying I, it. <laughs> I don't know if I agree with the blanket statement that Republicans have always been better on foreign policy than Republicans. I'll kind of let that stand uh, just for now. But um, I, I really I've been following this TikTok situation, and, and I think it has so it's so interesting. It has so many implications. It really is um, for for our personal information because that's a very big issue with both Republicans and Democrats um, across the country. And you've seen, you know, with TikTok in general, you've seen. Democrats and Republicans and the president raised concerns over it. I think that, uh, you know, this, this September 15th deadline is really interesting because, you know, the president kind of threw a wrench into things. And from a business perspective, uh, and what complicated things recently is that Trump kind of randomly said that the government should get a piece of this transaction, um, which really doesn't make any sense. And it's not kind of clear what, what he's talking about when he talks about that. But it's also not, we don't know um, what. TikTok has been, hand, you know, what type of information with regard to their users that they've been handing to the chi- handing over to the Chinese government? I mean, that's a $64,000 question. Now, we don't know a lot of those things about our, our company's headquartered here. Um, so there are a lot of questions. It's, it's understandable that there are a lot of concerns uh, within the business community, uh, among Republicans and Democrats on Capitol Hill and the Senate and the House. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how this how this plays off. But, you know, clearly when the president said that he was considering banning it in the U.S., Microsoft, you know, immediately kicked into action and was very concerned about that. Uh, but, you know, U.S.-China relations are very complicated uh, across the board with regard to trade, you know, all kinds of interference in our elections. We know that they've tried to do that um, and have succeeded to some extent. Um, so, you know, I think it's 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 a very this this meeting um will be um very interesting to follow i'm glad you have it on your radar so well i i think you know people are looking at this and and saying 
not people, China's looking at this. China, Xi Jinping, the Communist Party of China, is looking at this, and they're saying that, that the U.S. is taking too aggressive of an approach in, in, in uh, dealing with ByteDance's TikTok and, and trying to get Microsoft on board. Well, what about what they did with the NBA a couple of months ago when they shut down the NBA in, in China, you know, with, because, of, because of a tweet that was sent out with regards to Hong Kong and and you know the 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 largest market outside of the United States for the National Basketball Association is China. I mean so I mean it's not like China hasn't done this to the United States. I mean no no one's living under a rock here as it relates to to what happened and actually just on that note Senator Marsha Blackburn a Republican from Tennessee has been really emerging as the uh hawkish Republican on on um on Capitol Hill that has been really taking an interest along with Senator Hawley uh, on, on the national basketball uh, association. So it really is culturally, I think what you're noticing right now, whether it's with apps that are popular with the youths uh, in TikTok or in major league sports with the national basketball association, some cultural dynamics uh, ricocheting between the Western uh, and Eastern hemispheres uh, in real time. And, 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 it, with all of this going on with regards to uh, the coronavirus, Hong Kong, and, and of course, so many other different issues uh, on the U.S. and China front. Panel stays. We're still on standby for President Trump. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. And uh, yeah, I, I, the Michael Jordan documentary is on Netflix. I saw that. But I watched that in real time. Much more coming up next. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cerulli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. If you haven't been following Emily Chang on Bloomberg Technology, please do it, because she is as an interview with Bill Gates, uh, formerly of Microsoft, of course, the Gates Foundation and everything, a major player. Uh, and it's, it's a really good interview. You can log on to wherever you get access to Bloomberg uh, online, on your apps, uh, and check it out, because Emily is one of the hardest working reporters at Bloomberg and I'm oh I've always been a fan of Emily Chang on Bloomberg Technology uh, and she's got the pulse of Silicon Valley and and everything that's going on out there uh, so check that out um, and Jim Moorhard NASA's deputy administrator is also uh, talking about preparing for a mission to Mars hey if you need a reporter to send out outer space Kevin Cirilli is ready to go uh, joining us now for to, to, to round out the hour that made the producers laugh jennifer nasor hey they're like send them <laughs> send them up jennifer nasor republican strategist former chairwoman of the massachusetts republican party and founder for conservative women for a better future and kristen Hahn, democratic strategist senior advisor at rock solutions and former blue dog coalitions communications director we're still awaiting <laughs> President Trump, still no uh, word, but you can listen to it right here on Bloomberg 99.1 FM. I will bring it to you if he comes out uh, to talk about it. It's now time for my favorite part of the show. What is on your radar? Who wants to go first? Kristen, you're going first. What is on your radar? <laughs> first of all, Kevin, I think I've said this on this show before. I, I fully expect you'll be the first uh, reporter to cover <laughs> 
to report from space. So I would I'm, love that. I'm on board with that. You know, I, didn't Lance Bass try to go to space if I had my pop, pop culture? Yeah, Wasn't yeah. that a thing? Hey, Lance, send it me. <laughs> but didn't he not it go? Was, it was a thing. Did he make it? I can't remember. I feel like we would remember if he made it to Mars. I feel no, like I mean, no would. one's been to Mars yet. Would. All right. Anyway, I'm a huge space no. nerd. That's one thing. I really am a huge, huge... Huge space nerd. I love Armageddon, Interstellar. Interstellar is such a great movie. I saw it like five times. Anyway, what's on your radar, Kristen Hahn? You know, I mean, I'm going, I'm going super local here. Um, Good. You know, what's really popping on um, in you know some of these these we call them swing districts uh, where there are some you know Democratic candidates. As I speak from the Democratic side of the aisle, um, you know, who are who are seeing pretty significant movement. Um, with regard to support for President Trump in, in, in not a good way, and it's, and it's because of response to COVID. Um, it's, it's movement in states like Kentucky and Kansas um, and, 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 you know, even some states in Nor- and districts in North Carolina. Um, so it's been really interesting to see, um, you know, rising support for Biden. In a lot of ways, this election is going to be a referendum uh, on President Trump. Um, the messaging that um, that I'm seeing that you know our opponents on the Republican side are putting out is a lot to do with China, like we discussed earlier. Um, and uh, you know, healthcare is very personal to people, and they're being impacted right now. And it's so fascinating to me. Like I have a friend, and I won't go into on. I have a friend whose whose father voted for Trump. He's he's ne- he's always voted for Republicans, but. You know, he has a car, uh, used car dealership in Arkansas, and, you know, he needs help. And he doesn't, like you said, he, he wants to work, He, but he needs help. And for the first time, uh, my friend said that his father kind of understood the concept of, you know, that type of federal government assistance. Whereas before, in his mind, it was just people who didn't want to work taking government handouts. So it's a, it's a fundamental shift that um, I'm kind of seeing with these anecdotes and, and, and internal polling uh, that some of these candidates are doing on the ground about, you know, what people care about and what they see as traditionally Republican and Democratic values on both sides are kind of, they're changing. Um, and it's changing the way people are running their races uh, in, the, in their districts. All right. It's one thing to have that on your radar. Jennifer, what's on your radar? So I'm going to take a slightly different approach than Kristen did. So I'm a mom. I've got kids in school and elementary and high school. And I think that it's still too early to say what this election is going to be about, because I think where we're going to start seeing a swing is when kids are not going back to school. And we're going to start seeing a shift when moms mostly have to figure out education plans for their kids, when school districts don't go back, when teachers' unions are coming in and saying, defund the police, otherwise we're not going back, which one doesn't have to do with the other, but they're negotiating a whole bunch of political statements instead of actually thinking about the kids that they are educating. It would be like a doctor going to medical school and coming out and saying, hey, you know, I thought I was going to go in and help someone who has cancer. I'm not going to go treat a COVID patient. And so if these school districts and these teachers unions don't get their act together and figure out real plans for students, whether they are in-person learning, hybrid models, or real remote plans, you are going to see suburban educated women 
start coming out in droves for Trump quietly, but they will come out because it appears as though the Democrats are in bed with the teachers unions. And um, I'm not going to say definitely, Kristen, I'm not going to end it like that, but it appears to be that way. And so um, I think that that will that will cause a seismic shift because women will just hold their nose and say it's about our families and it's about our kids. And that's going to be game changing. All right. That's what's on your radar. So two very different approaches from Jennifer and Kristen. Okay, I'm gonna. This is what's on my radar, and it's actually been on my radar for a couple of days. It's been this side story that kind of has to do with our times, but not really. Did you guys hear about this Florida teenager who the feds say hacked like Jeff Bezos and and Elon Musk's Twitter and Barack Obama's Twitter? Mm-hmm. Did you hear about this? This is yeah. nuts. This literally reads like a crime novel. They should make, you know what? All the streaming platforms should, they should turn this into a movie. Uh, Chris Dolmatesh on, on the Bloomberg Terminal. A 17-year-old recent Florida high school graduate pleaded not guilty to charges that he hacked more than 100 high-profile Twitter accounts as part of a cryptocurrency scam by duping the social media companies. Employees, Graham Ivan Clark was charged last week with posting messages on behalf of notable business people, celebrities, and politicians, including former President Barack Obama, Amazon's Jeff Bezos, Tesla's Elon Musk, and luring additional victims into sending him Bitcoin donations of more than $100,000. Wow. Two others were charged with helping Clark by serving as brokers on the sale of compromised Accounts. Clark entered the plea to more than 30 charges filed against him earlier this morning in Florida State Court in Tampa before Judge Christopher Nash. According to court records, he is scheduled to appear again Wednesday for a hearing on his request to change the amount of his bail bond and the conditions of a release. This is it, so. If you read the the um, the court documents, essentially what what the feds are saying. They have a, that these teenagers were allegedly part of an underground subculture of hackers. I mean, I was a I was a dork in high school. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but they were an underground subculture of hackers dedicated to stealing, buying, and selling online accounts with desirable usernames. So here I am, Jennifer and Kristen, you know, playfully making fun of the TikTok people. Meanwhile, you've got other teens who are allegedly keyword allegedly. Hacking into Obama and Elon Musk Twitter for Bitcoins. I mean, it's just, I don't even know. Kids these days, man. Wow. It's Jennifer like, it's Masor. Like a TV show. You know, it's TV like, and, and in Florida, no, not knocking Florida, but I mean, what was that Tiger King? Remember March when we all watched that? They should do, the people who did Tiger King should make this a thing, a, a show. I'd watch it, right? All right. Or like the Bling Ring. Remember that movie? That's another good one if you've seen it. All right. Jennifer Nassour, Kristen Hahn. Thank you both so much for hanging out with me and uh, breaking down the policy and the politics inside of the nation's capital. I'm Kevin Cerilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.